Assalamu alaikum everyone. Hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal today. Um, this is the Sohail and Yasin podcast. We're going to come up with a more official name as we get more repetition into this game of becoming podcast hosts. But uh, as always, my name is Yasin and I'm here with my awesome, fantastic co-host and good friend, Sohail. Yep, that is me. I'm here. <laughs> and so uh, this this last week has been a little bit of an off week for Sohail and I in terms of not only figuring out what kind of topics we wanted to really touch base on and just really making sure that the rest of our lives were keeping up with uh, all of the madness that is living in the post-pandemic apocalyptic world of coronavirus. And so um, the topic that Sohail and I were kind of brainstorming before we jumped into today's podcast was the topic of taqwa. And so um, do you want to kind of give a preliminary Sohail about why it is that we decided to go a little bit onto the taqwa topic yeah so the i guess the overarching thing of what i originally was falling into this past week was just like losing focus on islam as like the the center point of everything and when it comes to like family and friends when it comes to work in my case which is school um and when it comes to like your passion i guess i've been kind of slacking in that one of when I feel like I'm falling behind in one of them, I kind of like drop it all. And especially if for me feeling like my Dean side of life isn't intact, everything else sort of kind of crumbles under it. Um, and Yasin uh, mentioned the topic of taqwa specifically. Um, so I, I'll kind of just hand it off to you to give more of like a back background of that. Yeah, totally. So uh, the reason I think taqwa is one of the most underrepresented topics that I think is not fully really understood, not only by non-Arabs, but Arabs as well, just Muslims as whole, right? Because a lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm a non-Arab, therefore I don't understand what taqwa means because it's an Arabic term. But the truth is that I had a conversation with a buddy of mine where we were talking about how these basic topics of tawakkul, taqwa, shukr, qadr, all these are topics that I know a lot of people have heard as buzzwords, but Oftentimes, for us living in the modern world, right, and living in 2000, 2020, for us, we don't really have a conceptual understanding of what those topics mean because the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, like, they had like a understanding of those topics. But today, we're just like buzzwords. We don't really understand what they mean. And so, I proposed to Sohail uh, that possibly the issue that kind of threw not only him off, but me off in the last couple of weeks in terms of our work and the rest of our lives, our personal lives, our work lives, our school lives, was our level of taqwa. And so the conversation then became like, okay, well, what's taqwa? And I was like, okay, bro, we can talk about it on the podcast. It'll be <laughs> awesome. Like, I'll have to define taqwa. We can go into there. So I think today's pro uh, podcast is very valuable to talk about taqwa. And I'm interested, Sohail, to get your thoughts as I kind of explain this, because I haven't publicly explained this many times to a lot of a lot of people. And so I think there's probably a lot of gaps in the way I explain it. So I would really, really love for you to kind of chime in and ask any questions as we kind of go along here. Yeah, let's dive into it. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So my obsession with taqwa has been going on for, I think, over a decade now because of the fact that Islam, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a famous uh, biographer who said that Islam is a very unique religion because their prophet, وسلم, he wasn't Muslim, so he just said their prophet, taught them how to do things from the very little of how to use the restroom all the way to how to actually run a state. So it kind of encompasses the entire A to Z amalgam of how to you know, live your life and the state and the community and the society and all that stuff. But on the personal level, the number one objective of all of Islam on the personal level is to increase the taqwa of individuals. Like if you look at across the board, you look at the word taqwa in the Quran, like even if you look at the ayah of how to, like the reason why we fast, it's um, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah SWT says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامَ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may become more of those people who are muttaqeen. Right? In the first five ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah, That the Quran is a guidance for those who are للمتقين. And so the, the concept of taqwa has such an important, significant emphasis on literally the purpose of anything we do in deen is to increase our level of taqwa. And yet when we try to like if I ask somebody what is taqwa they'd be like I think it means like fear of Allah I think it means like I don't know what it means and so I think it's valuable for us to kind of pause here for a second and just have a discussion about what you and I Sohail think that the general population or what you and I think taqwa is just so that we can kind of have a list of those and then touch base on that throughout the podcast today so if I was to ask you Sohail there's no right or wrong here so don't feel like yeah. <laughs> this is not like some kind of lesson or a halaqa or something this is just like a general discussion that we're having um 
from what you've studied, right? Because you've obviously gone through some some classes in the past, some Arabic lessons and things like that. What would you say your understanding of taqwa is, and just kind of laying it all out there? All right. So, I think, uh, the, like you said, the just being conscious of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala at all times is generally what I think of when I think of taqwa. Um, Shaykh Muqtar used to always. This is like his one thing that he would always preach about, um, always being God conscious and. I think just in more general terms, it just means that in your day-to-day, whatever you're doing in every single activity, in every single act, you should have a way of connecting it back to your deen or just knowing that every single thing you do has a deen consequence, I guess. Like there could there could be a negative aspect of it in your spirituality or there could be a positive aspect of it in your spirituality so i think it, it, it just comes down to that i think that's how i would personally define it so when you say like god consciousness like like practically what does that mean so it's like okay i want to increase my taqwa level like how like what does that mean god consciousness yeah so abdurrahman murphy in one of his coffee talks uh, i quote people a lot just because that's it's better than it's quoting good, myself yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> um but the way he defined or the way he talks about sinning is that in the moment that you choose to do a sin, you inherently forget that the day of judgment exists. And by this, he means that the day of judgment obviously is something that we all at least are told to fear and are told to be mindful of at all times, but we don't necessarily obviously keep that at the forefront of our minds, especially mortality, death, all that you, it's, Islamically preached to always have that at the forefront of our minds. Um, and I think a byproduct of that is just knowing that there is a consequence to every single one of your actions and that everything you do somehow can lead you either towards a worse akhirah or a better akhirah. So I think in God consciousness, it's just that whether I'm talking to somebody and I'm mindful of the way I'm talking to them, the way I'm giving them attention, the way I'm listening, or whether it's dealing with my parents and listening when I should be, um, or just obviously just using the internet, like making sure I'm conscious of the things I'm looking at, the things I'm listening to. I think in every single act, it just comes down to how is this activity going to affect me in the spiritual sense of my eternal demise i guess if you want to think of it in that sense so i think just god consciousness just comes down to being mindful in your day-to-day activities yeah i think uh so i think you you almost pretty much hit it on the head with the mindfulness aspect towards the end the tail end of your explanation there and for me it's been a similar uh journey of being obsessed with taqwa and kind of being like okay what does taqwa actually mean and i'm now convinced that taqwa is the secret to individuals being able to buy their own lambos and I think it's also the secret for okay. people having eternal happiness and it's a secret to having the life that you want in the dunya as well as the life that you want in the akhirah and let me explain why the easiest way so first off from an Islamic context let's look at what does taqwa mean from an Islamic context um, there's hadith of Rasulullah that he defines taqwa in the in, in, in the context is hadith, there's a saying of Ali where he defines uh, taqwa and he goes on to define taqwa but the most famous explanation of taqwa that I think has gotten the most traction which maybe you might be familiar with this one Sohail, which is often misquoted to actually be from Umar which is the whole uh, thobe example with the thorns have you heard of that one? Uh, maybe if you say it, it'll jog my memory. Okay, so typically people quote this to Umar uh, but it's actually to Ubay ibn Ka'ab. So the example is Umar uh, asked Ubay ibn Ka'ab, what is the definition of taqwa? Now, if you guys don't know who Ubay ibn is, is he's basically the Qari of the Ummah. He actually, like, Sabbih Isma Rabbika Al-A'la was a surah that was specifically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to recite it to specifically to Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Like, Ubay ibn Ka'ab is very, very high up there as Sahaba. He's just not very well known. So, uh, when Umar asked Ubay ibn Ka'ab, what is taqwa? He basically defined it in a metaphor. He said, imagine that you are going to be walking on a path that has a lot of thorns coming up. Okay, and then he asked Umar Dhan, how would you walk on that path? And so Umar Dhan said, um, I would take my thobe. Now, they didn't have thobes back then, they were in Arab dress. So the, the, the term thobe is not specifically that was used in this, right? Like the, the, the clothes that you're wearing. He said that I would be wrapping my, like I would be very, very cognizant and I'd be extremely conscious of where my clothes were, like at every given moment, because I don't want them to get pricked 
by any of the thorns that are on this path that I'm going, right? So you're extremely like, you're like, you're walking through this thing and you're like, you know, you're pulling one clothes here, you're pulling your shirt here. You're like, you know, like if you ever tried to, um, when I was a kid, we always used to have like these, uh, these bushes in the back of our, in our back of our, uh, backyard and then past the bushes was like this field where we used to play in. And so we used to always try to look for like this hole between the bushes to like, mm. kind of like walk through. And so you're going through this thing and you're like, you, and you don't want to get hit by any of the branches. And so you're just like, you're like dodging these, you know, dodging these branches and you're trying to go through there. That's kind of what he was essentially uh, demonstrating taqwa to be as. Now, it's, it, it touches very closely on the topic of mindfulness that you said, right? So it's like you're very mindful of like, okay, where's the branch? What's happening here? What's actually, what am I actually going through? The more contemporary example that I always give that I think resonates with a lot of people is taqwa is essentially the feeling that you have when you're going through TSA as a Muslim. Where as you're going through TSA, you are so cognizant of like, like every movement, mm. like taking your laptop out of the bag and you're putting it there. You know that people are watching you. You're like, bro, you know, like especially so how much I got the beautiful beard rocking. Nah, and, like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and so like that, that's one, one example that I give. The second example that I give that I think resonates with a lot of people is taqwa is the feeling that you get when you're driving your car. And then all of a sudden you see that there's a police officer behind you. And then you literally are watching like every mile an hour on your speedometer. You're making sure that you put the blinker on every single time. Like when there's a stop sign, you're like, you stop and then you like give it an extra two seconds and you're like, okay, there you go. I stopped, right? Like that moment where you're so mindful and conscious of every single small thing that you're doing because you know that there's somebody who's watching you. You're being extremely deliberate about what it is that you're doing. Right? And so that's one aspect of taqwa, which is the consciousness that you always have in mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always watching you, period. That feeling that happens, that is a feeling of taqwa. The other aspect of taqwa is being present in the exact moment that you're in right now. The reason being is because I want you to think about this. It's going to sound like a very abstract topic that, I, that I'm about to say right now. Is that it is impossible to make ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the future and it's impossible to make ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the past. You can only make ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the exact present moment that you're in right now. So like for example, when you're praying salah, the only way for you to have khushu' is to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you when? In the future? In the past? No, at this exact moment. And so taqwa is like this combination of mindfulness, presentness, and being extremely deliberate and conscious of like the life that you're living right now. And that's all encompassed in this concept of taqwa essentially. And so that's what that's another that's one aspect and I'm going to add the final layer to this which is taqwa is the easiest translation for taqwa is consciousness in general god consciousness as well as consciousness of reality so that means that basically what you're doing is if you have a high level of taqwa you are conscious constantly of the fact of what is actually true in the life like what is actually priority what is not true like what is not re, like important and so as you're going through life and if you have a high level of taqwa let's say for example somebody pisses you off if you have a high level of taqwa, like if somebody cuts you off and you have road rage or something, if you have a high level of taqwa, you'll be like, okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, the only thing that really matters is like, am I being a good Muslim? Um, am I doing things that are right, you know, against other people? That Jannah is going to happen. There's Yom Al Qiyamah. There's Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. There's Rasul. Those are the only things that are real reality. Everything else is just like a game that I'm playing in the dunya, basically. Like this entire dunya is a, is a. Um, is like a short-term like game that I'm playing, and then the real life starts when I die, and then you have like the real life. And so your consciousness level is 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 specific to how much you're able to remember that fact regularly throughout your life. I'll get off my pulpit for a second, and I'll uh, I'll let you just <laughs> because I just I know I'm kind of a little bit all over. No, the place. Yeah, yeah, I I was smiling because I remember one time we were walking doing our fudger walks, and we were there was that one day where we came to that like we sat down on the bench and we were like hyper analyzing the like the lenses that we have between the way we perceive the world and then what reality actually is um and dr sherman jackson talked about how i i don't want to quote anything because i don't want to get it wrong but he talked about how imam shafi he was somebody who didn't like that islam was getting into hands of non-arabs because they couldn't perceive Islam the way that Arabs did, at least in his perception, because they are the ones who had the culture that was attached to uh, Islam. They were they were raised as Arabs. They were given the Quran 
in the context of who they were and their their background. And when somebody who isn't raised in that background tries to interpret the Quran, in his perception or the way that we learned it is that he didn't inherently like that because to them it was taking away half the meeting, right? <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is because it, it's interesting to think of, or it's, I guess for me, it's interesting to think of Islam as more of a worldview in that you when you start thinking about all the things you learn as you grow up and you think of those as like the way to think and I guess using the Quran as your linguistic worldview of like guiding you throughout your life, then all these other things are like those thorns and you actually can like align yourself in that way of like wrapping yourself in Islam as the way you think and then everything else just being outside of it and obviously the way Muhammad Islam taught us oh. to deal with each of those things we'd like inherently know how to I guess weave through the the, the thorns um, yeah totally I think uh, and ju just to clarify here because I know that a lot of us especially as non-Arabs we sometimes feel like there's, there's a little bit of a hierarchy game here. We're like, oh, Arabs, you must understand so much more. The truth is that even in the time of Imam Shafi'i, uh, in his time, like the, the Arabs were true Arabs. My Mashayikh, nowadays they call the Arabs, my, my Mashayikh, by the way, are Arab. They call them Arab. Arab basically means like Bedouins, which rhymes with Arab. Because the reason being is because even the Arab in today's time have completely lost context of the culture aspect of it, the meaning aspect of it. So they are not in any way, shape, or form in a different situation. Sometimes I know that for us as non-Arabs, we're like, oh, you know, there must be like a the grass is greener on the other side. Like if I only understood things on the other side, my life and my worldview and like everything would be completely yeah. different. But the truth is that it's it's at an ummah level. Like the lack of understanding of deen is not only specific to non-Arabs. It's also heavily, heavily based in on the Arab side um, as well. So I just thought I would, I would clarify that. But yeah, I think you're spot on in that the cultural aspect by us not really having these terms like these buzzwords shukr tawakkul taqwa without us having the cultural aspect of it the way that i kind of talked about like the police officer the tsa and then mindfulness because we hear these things right there's a mindfulness movement there's a being present in the moment and the reason why i believe that taqwa is the key to living a happy and prosperous life in the dunya as well as the akhirah is because in Islam, every act that we do on the individual level is meant to increase our taqwa level. So even salah, zakah, fasting, all of those have evidences in the Quran, the Hadith, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ. So that you, that way you may be have you may be amongst those who have taqwa, right? But then the question might be, why is that? Like why is taqwa given such a high importance? And my opinion is that. The reason why taqwa is at that pedestal is because the concepts of tawakkul, shukr, um, you know, being able to uh, focus in life, like all these concepts that we have, for me, I see them as things that come as a result of having a high level of taqwa. Because if you don't have taqwa, you cannot have shukr. What does that mean? If you are not able to step back from your life and realize like, oh, snap, this entire life is just a game like I'm playing. Like imagine, this is exactly how you can imagine it. You're like in this movie or this video game. And you're like this character in this video game and you just have to realize for a second that like, oh snap, whatever happens to this character in this video game, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with who I am as a person. Because who I am as a person is who I'm going to be judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm going to be judged, like there's different criteria of what I have. It's not, this character, this character is rich, if this character is poor, if this character is smart, if this character is dumb, if this character has straight A's, if this character has straight C's. Like, irrespective of what this character has in this video game, is not reflective of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees me and what standing I have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the actual thing, that's the only thing that actually matters. And so what you do is you then separate yourself from the character in the video game that is Yasin and Suhail, and you'd be like, okay, so there's a video game that's going on, which is life, and there's a character in this video game that might be on track with his studies, he might not be on track with his studies. He might be on track with his goals, he might not be on track with his goals. He might, you know, he might uh, have the business he wants, he might not have the business he wants. He might have the life that he wants, he might not have the life that he wants. But that is ir that is irrelevant to the standing that I am that I am in with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the actually only the thing that matters. So that is actually the purpose. Like that state of mind that I just demonstrated right now is actually the purpose of why we have salah, suyam, zakat, hajj. That per that state of mind that I just said right now is all of those are just reminders for us to get into that state of mind, like, oh snap, this entire game, this entire life, this entire life thing is just a game. And I'm just a character in this game. And the only thing that actually matters is 
my standing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm, that's interesting. So viewing viewing your life as a third from a third person point of view, like you said before and is a way of kind of taking yourself out of context of any of the struggles or worries that you have on a personal basis and kind of, I guess this kind of clicked in my head because I've been having an issue of defining like happiness, I guess, because obviously there's like two sides of it. Everybody's like, okay, you have to enjoy the journey to get to wherever you want. So like happiness is like now, right? Like you have to be defined or define yourself as a happy person in order to like, you mentioned last time about the RAS, like you find these things that'll link you back to your happiness and it'll confirm your identity. Um, and I think it's easier said than done a lot of the times with that because you fall into these little events that'll come up that kind of put you down or kind of make you feel a certain type of way. And then you kind of let everything else crumble down. But uh, Sheikh Mukhtar also mentioned this once about how achieving Sakina and like inner tranquility comes through simply detaching yourself from everything else in the world and only having one single attachment in your heart and there's a there's a whole like tangent here about like the amount of sacrifice you put into it and how obviously as the higher in status you want to get with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the more sacrifice you have to have he talked about like Ibrahim and how just the act of him him being there to consciously have to cut his son and that moment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the gift of detaching his love for his son and replacing it with the love of Allah and uh, his son's love of his life was replaced with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so it's like it, uh, this is a tangent but I guess the, the main idea here is that like as you go through life there are these trials that come up and obviously they'll be harder and harder and those are just a means of testing you to see whether you will be able to detach from those worldly things that you're conscious of and kind of bring it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as like the main focus. And I brought this up just because happiness, I guess, in that case would be defined as being in a good place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then allowing everything else to kind of just be extra in that scenario where like you are thinking of it from that third person point of view and you're not really putting value... This, this is where no, I kind of sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good, you, you know, I want to. I want to. Uh, sorry, I apologize. I'm kind of cutting mm. in here, but the, because the reason being is because you brought up some really good points, and I want to kind of dive into those here for a second. So you mentioned happiness quite a few times, and I think that this concept of happiness is one that is very interesting and one that I have a lot of strong thoughts on. So I think I would love to dive into it with you a little bit, if, if you're okay mm. with that. Is what is your when you say happiness are you talking about the feeling of happiness are you talking about contentment are you talking about uh satisfaction like what are you are you talking about the feeling are you talking about the state of mind what are you talking about when you talk about happiness i think in my head the definition of happiness obviously it's like being content being satisfied with where you are and just being in that constant state of just bliss i guess peace right you're just at peace with yourself but I guess there's this like longing of feeling like, you know, when you're hanging out with friends and like after a long time, you kind of feel that joy and that happiness of just like, okay, I'm like kind of, you kind of detach from the worries that you have in your day to day. And you can kind of just put yourself in this place of like, okay, now I don't have to worry about all that stuff. I'm in a place where I don't have these struggles. I don't have these worries. I don't have these responsibilities. And you can kind of take yourself out of it. And for me, in my head, the definition of happiness is getting to the point in your day-to-day -day where those responsibilities, those tasks, those worries don't affect you. And you're still able to stay in that feeling of feeling... Uh, it's a very shaky definition, but you don't necessarily view responsibility as being a burden on your shoulder, but more of a empowerment and you feel more at more at peace, I guess, through those things that you have to do on the day to day. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've heard this a lot and I, this is something that I myself thought for a very long time until I one day came across learning more about how the brain works. And I started to realize that the, what we just, what we're talking about here in this concept of happiness 
And the reason why people have difficulty defining happiness is because there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how feelings work in the body and in the brain. So let me explain a little bit more. So everything that you feel right now, right? All of your feelings, a lot of people get tied to their feelings. Like I wanna feel happy, I wanna feel content, I wanna feel. The truth is that all of the feelings that your entire spectrum of feelings that you have, all of those really just stem from thoughts that occur. So like you have this thought, which is like, oh, I, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, I'm supposed to be doing this, uh, this homework piece that I'm putting off right now. As a result of that, what you do then is you put meaning on top of that thought and therefore that generates feelings. Okay, so all feeling comes from thought. And then on top of that, whatever meaning you put onto that thought, that's how you generate your feelings. Okay, so, and then, now, let me, now let me ask you real quick here, is that thoughts, do you think, are you of the opinion that you can control your thoughts or do you feel like thoughts are just something that's like in your head? I think thoughts in your head, but you can choose which ones to place value in or not. Right. So like, like, do you, would you agree with me that like, um, on any given moment, like you could just go out there right now and watch the news. And then all of a sudden you'd have a whole bunch of thoughts about like external environment puts thoughts in your head. So some thoughts are from you. Some thoughts are from the external environment, but you just have like a, like a flood of thoughts that are coming all the time. Yeah. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. And then from there, you can decide what thoughts you want to entertain and which thoughts you don't want to entertain. Mm -hmm. Can we agree on that? Yeah. And then based on the thoughts that you entertain, you start putting meaning on those thoughts. As a result, they generate your feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if, if, if it's as fickle as literally watching the news that can get, generate for you a thought, and then you put meaning on, on that thought, and then all of a sudden it impacts your feeling, isn't feeling something that is like very, very like fickle? Isn't that something that's like, like if you're chasing your feeling, but feeling can be influenced literally by a thought, isn't feeling maybe not the best thing to be chasing in life? But, hmm. So then you're, you're defining like your general state of mind isn't defined by feelings. You're saying that that's independent of, you're saying feelings are those event-based, thought-based emotions that arise because you attach an emotion to a specific thought and then you get a feeling from that. Right. And based on, and now if you want to go into neuroscience here, there's a million different chemicals, right? If you watch something that has a lot of cuts in it on YouTube, all of a sudden you have this thought and you'll have a feeling and then dopamine gets released in your brain and you might have a spike or you might have a low, but your well-being, like how your, your actual state of well-being is irrespective of the thought, like the thoughts and the feelings are up here. Imagine your brain, right? You have your thoughts and your feelings that are out here. And then your well-being is something that is much deeper than any thoughts or feelings that you might have because those things turn or, like they have turnover like every like you might have a thought come here feeling come here a thought come here feeling here you might feel happy one moment you feel sad one moment like those things have such a high turnover that that has nothing to do with your internal well-being of like your contentment your happiness for me contentment and happiness and how your overall what sugar gratitude all those things are much deeper than whatever your thoughts or your feelings might be in that given moment. That makes sense. Uh, but okay, so then in that scenario, or in that, uh... and so let me, Sorry, go let, ahead. Let, go ahead. let me yeah. go into this, and then maybe this will help a little bit more. So when yeah. we talk about taqwa, so let's let's go back to where we were before. This concept of taqwa is related to the deeper well-being and the state that you're in deeper. Okay. Sorry, I was, okay. I was asking for my charger. <laughs> my okay, it's all good. It's all good. Cool. So, um, so going back to what we we're talking about with taqwa, right? So, mm -hmm. taqwa is basically being in the state of mind that everything that is going on in your life right now is basically just a game, and it has nothing to do with your innate well-being, right? Your innate well-being, like Sohail, his innate well-being has to do with his relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's irrespective of whatever else is happening in life. So, whatever thoughts, whatever feelings, whatever you have going on in your life, that is irrelevant to what Sohail's net worth is. Like your net worth is actually defined as like, like the fact that you're alive that has a net worth to it. Like you're already valuable, the fact that you were born a human being and you're healthy and you're in America and all these things, right? And so your happiness, if we already define happiness, if you're defining happiness as a feeling, if you're defining happiness as a feeling, then your feelings are based on your thoughts and therefore your happiness will go in and out depending on how you feel at any given moment. But if you're defining happiness as a state of being, that is something that has much deeper to do with any thoughts or feelings that you might be having at that given moment. 
right? And so your happiness is not determined. Is, happiness is a mindset, not a feeling. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, uh, that makes sense. I guess the issue I always have with this is figuring out the practical side of it because abstractly it makes sense how we choose what emotions we attach to what thoughts based on just our worldview right the way we think about things the way we uh, act on a day-to-day basis our emotions will affect different thoughts in different ways but I guess the issue here would be detaching yourself from that event-based feeling feeling thing and bringing yourself to that, okay, I am happy right now. I am feeling good. I am a, I'm, I'm in a good state of mind and convincing yourself that all of those thoughts are just extra. I think doing that practically is difficult because it feels like you always have to be on guard, I guess, or you have to always be <laughs> it, it's kind of ironic because I was going to say you, it feels like you always have to be mindful, but I guess that's the point then, that you always have to be conscious of those thoughts that are occurring and conscious of the fact that you can't control the emotions you attach to those thoughts. And so anytime that those feelings come about, you have to just remind yourself that this is just a feeling. I'm still a, I'm still like at peace. My life is in order. This is just an external factor. Is that is that just... An- yeah. You're, you're, you're basically spot on there because it's, it's what it is is a habit of consciousness. You have to start to develop the habit of consciousness to not identify with the character. So what the biggest illusion of all of life is when the video game character convinces you that you are the video game character. Like the video game character wants you to be like, hey, everything is on the line. If we don't pass this test right now, you're going to be a failure of life and your entire life is going to be worth nothing. If you don't get, you know, if you don't get the business that you want, if you don't want the car you want, if you don't get the wife that you want to marry, if your parents are upset, like... The biggest illusion of the nafs is that the nafs wants you to believe that you like you and the nafs are one. When in reality, we know that there's the nafs in the ruach. I'm not going to go into the abstract spirituality of this. But the point being is that in any given moment, you always have to like remind yourself like, oh, snap, I'm taking life too seriously right now. Like, oh, snap. like you always I, I almost try to practice it like 10 times an hour. Like I always try to like reground myself and be like, whoa, I got like I got carried away with my thoughts. Like my thoughts took me to a different place. And the more I've practiced that like 10 times every single hour, where I just be like, where am, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing right now? Like, whoa. Like I sometimes literally be like, I just tra- like I just transport it back to where I am right now because my thoughts will take me to a different dimension. Like I'll be like thinking about mm. something's gonna happen in the past. I'm thinking about something happening in the future. And then I'll take a second and be like, okay, wait a second. Who am I? I'm Yasin. Where am I? I'm sitting in this conference room right now. What am I doing? I'm talking to Sohail. As soon as I answer those three questions for myself, I'm like ground myself in the present moment. Like, whoa, where did I go? Like my thoughts took me to a different place. And that's what the nafs does. That's what this whole like um, video game character thing does is it takes you to, it makes you start thinking life is more serious than it actually is. And you start to lose sight of the bigger picture, which is like, oh snap, like this is all just a game. This is all just like a dunya. This is just dunya is just like a, it's like a fun toy that you can have. And then once you start, the funny thing about this is like catch 22 is a paradox. Because once you start to think of life as a game, you start to be able to play it a little bit less seriously. And when you play it less seriously, you actually get better results at the game. When you're not afraid to play life all out and you're not afraid to take risks, you actually are able to do things more boldly. And then when you do things more boldly, greater risk, greater reward, and you get better reward for it. Like physical, tangible, dunya reward. Because mm-hmm. you're not taking life so seriously. You're not so afraid to put yourself out there because you're like, bro, what does it matter if that guy thinks judges me for who I am? Because it's all a game anyways. You're like, bro, what does it matter if I if I try to start this business and I fail? Because it's just a game anyways. What does it matter if my parents maybe are not the best at me because I, you know, I, I uh, decided not to become a doctor? Because it's just a game anyways. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you start taking it less seriously. And this is why the ummah has got it completely backwards. It's because your, your parents are actually ingraining you to live a taqwa less lifestyle. They're making you to they're making you think that life is so important. Like, bro, you have to take the safe job. If you don't take the safe job, everything. But, Wait a second, risk is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to die anyways. Why don't I just play the game all out? And so the generation, what they've done is they've ingrained this taqwa, meaningless lifestyle into our brains where they try to make us like, like if you have true taqwa, you realize like, oh, I can do whatever I want in this dunya. And it doesn't matter because that's not the game. The game is not the dunya. The game is the akhirah. Mm. So taqwa is the way to get a Lambo. <laughs> Taqwa is there you go, bro. Connected all the Taqwa is the way that you have shukr also, because if you don't have a high level of consciousness, you can't have shukr for what it is that you want. If you're not able to separate yourself from the game, right? If you think the game is everything, 
then you can't step back and have acknowledgement of the blessings that you already have. Because you're always looking at like, oh snap, I don't have what it is that I want. I don't have the grades that I want. I don't have the job that I want. I don't have the life that I want. It's very hard for you to then to look at what it is that you do have and make sure for what it is that you do have. But if you can step away from the game for a second, and if you can be like, oh snap, it's not that serious anymore. Alhamdulillah, look at me. I have, you know, I'm healthy. I live, you know, here. I have family. I have this. Oh snap, it's not that serious. Therefore, you can have shukr. And like we talked about in the previous episode, the thing that you can have more shukr of, the more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will increase you for. And so that's how you win the game is when you step back, you have a higher level of taqwa, you can have, make shukr for that thing, you make shukr for the little money that you do have, and then all of a sudden you get more money. And then you're like, oh snap, I got even more money, let me make more shukr of that, and you have more. So taqwa is what allows you to have shukr, it's what allows you to have tawakkul, because the only way you can have tawakkul by letting go of trying to control everything is by stepping back and you're like, oh, it's a game. I don't have control over all the pieces of the game anyways. I can only put in my effort from the game. And again, it comes down to having that taqwa, the higher level of consciousness, to be able to step back from the game and be like, oh, snap, it's just a game. And that is why salah, zakah, fasting, all of that is just there to remind us of that cue. Hey, bro, it's just a game. Hey, bro, it's just a game. Like, this is literally when I, when I start praying salah, I'm like, oh, snap, I'm about to start realizing that it was just a game. Like, that, like That's the state of mind that I leave myself with after I finish praying salah. Because then I'm able to combat the rest of life so much more aggressively. Because I just finished Salah, I'm like, oh, bro, I just remembered it's all just a game. It makes sense now. Cool. Time to go attack life again. Interesting. Okay. So you view Salah as a way of keeping yourself at that third-person point of view of life. It's not my view. This is the, this is the this is the reason why Allah revealed salah and uh, dua and all of these are tools that Allah. This is the whole purpose. This is what people miss about Islam. The whole purpose of Islam on the personal level. Remember, there's different levels of this game, right? There's the nation level. There's Islam as a constitution. Islam as a society. There's different things. But on the personal level, the entire game of like the honestly the game of Islam. The entire purpose of Islam is to put the individual at into taqwa. Now, out of those actions, Allah subhanahu wa has given us all these tools, right? Out of these tools that we have, some of them are put to the pedestal of fara'il. Some of them are likable. Some of them are, you know, like Allah subhanahu wa has prioritized these for us out of all the tools that we have. But all of these tools are meant for one purpose, which is to put us into the state of taqwa because that then gives us more shukr, it gives us more akhlaq, it gives us more... Because it's hard to have road rage and be angry at your wife when you realize like, oh, it's just a game. Like, why am I angry at my wife for not cooking, like making like what, what salt was in the food or whatever, right? The key to, to the key to akhlaq is also taqwa. Because you have a higher level of akhlaq, you have a level, level high level of moral self-being when you realize like, it's just a game. You don't want to cheat people in business because you're like, bro, it's just a game. Why would I, why would I sacrifice my integrity? The only, people, the only people who cheat people in the dunya are people who take the game so seriously that they're like, oh, if I don't cheat this person, then like, I'm going to have no financial gain. And so that you have less, you have less akhlaq because you think that you, this game is so serious that this, this is the only thing that exists. And so all of the things in life are really just there. All the things that the tools that Allah subhanahu wa has given us is to elevate our taqwa level. Dang. It's a lot easier to think about tawakko in that, in that framework because you just, you pull yourself out of your current life, I guess, and you just, yeah, that's interesting. You just leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to take care of the game for you and you're just a bystander to, to the way it's working. Interesting. You're just a player in the video game, bro, and you control the video game. You, you control the video game character. Like, the whole game, like, the whole, it's all a game and you're a character in the game and your job is to control this character. So sometimes this character gets a level up and he gets like, you know, he gets the A on the test, sometimes he doesn't. But your goal is not what you got on the test. Your goal is to work on building the character, like if he studies or not. Like your goal is to tell Sohail like, yo bro, you gotta study right now. Like your goal is to tell Sohail like, yo bro, you gotta send out the direct outreach messages for business so that way we can get more clients. You control the character of Sohail, you are not Sohail. Bro, thinking about this in terms of like the like the covenant that we've like given to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then we were given this life and like it, it <laughs> dang, it like actually makes you think of like the life as a video game because at some point we die and then the video game's over but our souls still return to Allah. Damn. Okay, wait, I I had something I wanted to also ask because you mentioned you about 10 times an hour you pull back and you kind of just remind yourself. Do you want to just like go into that real quick? 
Yeah, so um, so again, like I said, there's tools that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us to increase our levels of our level of consciousness, right? The goal of all of life is to get to a point where you're just always living in a state of consciousness that you're like you're able to play life fearlessly because you're always just at a higher level of consciousness, right? So when you're in the meeting, you're able to have like you can like if something let's say for example like uh, the other day what happened was a client of ours um, she wasn't able to pay her her monthly like her what she's supposed to pay us and so we lost like you know five hundred or six hundred dollars right so we go into the meeting and then my uh, my my admin assistant Jane she's like oh yeah this client didn't pay so we lost you know five six hundred dollars and so my initial thing was I was like dude like I mean five hundred six hundred it's not a big deal but it's like it's it's annoying to lose five six hundred dollars right and so then I just started laughing. Because I just started realizing, oh, it's just a game. Like it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Like I was just like on to the next. And so when you approach life with this joyous attitude, the funny thing that happened is like literally two days after that, my sales guy he closed another deal that was like six hundred dollars. And so like sometimes this entire life, these concepts of like, oh, if you give money for sadaqa, um, shaitan wants you to be fakir, but Allah subhanahu wa taala will give it back to you in so much different ways that you don't understand. Sometimes it just takes for you to step back and realize like, oh. Like there's this character in this game and I don't understand how this entire game works. All I am in control of is the character and what my character does. It's a very meta way to think. Because at that moment easy. you laugh at it and in your head you're like, you know that at some point Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will kind of come back and provide something in a different way. Or you have that tawakkul like inherently, right? Like that just comes by. And so going back to your question about 10 times an hour. So again, when you go into the car, you read the du'a of suffer, right? The reason you read the du'a of suffer is to put you into level of consciousness. Like the reason you're doing that, you're like, oh, I'm driving this car, but I don't really have control over like the, uh, imagine that, every du'a that you know now, think about it in this context. It, it's going to make so much, like all of life, like Islam and life will make sense now. The reason you read the du'a is to remind you that you're about to get into this car and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of protectors because even though I'm driving the car, I have no idea. Like I, I, like I have no idea if some guy's going to look at his phone and crash into me. So I don't have control over the game. I can just control over what I'm doing. And so even the du'a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a key or it's a spark to be able to like consciousness level. Like you go to the bathroom, there's a du'a for that. You, you pray salah, there's, like, there's consciousness level there. There's a, like every little aspect of deen it's a trigger for you to increase your level of consciousness and be like, whoa, it's a game. And so when I get out of consciousness, sometimes I'll just like, I'll be like, Alhamdulillah, or like I'll do a dhikr. Or what I've been trying to practice recently is I'll ask myself three questions. I'll say, who am I? Where am I? And what am I doing? And that's one of the things that I found that's really been very good of like centering me in the present moment and then making me realize like, oh, it's just a game. And then I'll center myself again. And so like I'm just constantly trying to just ground myself and center myself and bring my attention to the present moment because at the end of the day you can only um, you can only play the game of life in the in the present moment essentially. Okay, I'm definitely going <laughs> to I'm definitely going to start doing that too cuz in this past week where I've been like kind of too in my head about things, I think I was I was telling myself like yeah, I'm going to start meditating again. Like at some point I did for like a solid 20 days, like not not a month even, but I was in that point where it's like okay, you sit down, you breathe, you kind of get out of your head, you focus on your breathing to the point where it's like you're you don't let any of those thoughts that are coming in, you don't let yourself cling on to any of them. And the same way I guess you were saying, you don't let yourself attach any emotions to them and you just put yourself in this different state of mind, but and I, I've I've tried to view Salah in that way, and I think over time I just kind of lost that attachment. But that's a very interesting way to put it. Where in that process of getting those thoughts and attaching those feelings, before we, that even happens, you kind of just pull back and you just get yourself in that state where you remember that this is just a game, this is just life, this is just how it's going to be, and you can't control anything. And you observe the thoughts. So when you have when you have a higher level of consciousness, when your taqwa level is up there, then what you're doing is you're in a state of observing your thoughts, and then you observe the feelings that come as a result of those thoughts. Because it's not like you're going to become this emotionless human being, right? All you're doing though is that you're separating yourself from your thoughts. The biggest deception of the nafs is that the nafs makes you think that you are your thoughts. Like you have this thought, and you're like, like oh man, like uh, you have this thought, like oh I'm not attractive or I'm not smart or I'm not this, and then you start to like attach meaning to it, and you start to, like oh that's me, I'm this, I'm this. But you are not that. Like whatever you're, who you are right now is irrespective of the thoughts. You absorb the thoughts, and you now realize that your thoughts could come in from the news, your thoughts could come in from your dad saying something about you, your thoughts could come in from uh, you know somebody told you something else. Like you don't have control over the thoughts that come into your head, but you do have control over the thoughts that you choose to entertain and um, like 
make as a part of you, essentially. So in those times where you kind of do let those emotions kind of overwhelm you, and I'm, I'm assuming it's not like a like a hundred percent solution to everything. Like you can't just assume that you'll always be perfectly fine. But for you, what do you feel like is something that when you fall into those like, do you think when you fall into those like slumps, I guess, is it because you just forgot about that, about life being a game, about consciousness, and then something as simple as just bringing back taqwa or consciousness is then it's the solution to like that's it that's literally it when you when you find yourself getting wrapped up in life it's because you've forgotten the fact of reality which is that like it's all just a game and you are not your thoughts you've forgotten that fact when you forget that fact you then become victim to riding the roller coaster of thoughts what has happened is that your like your thoughts have taken the control of the steering wheel and they're taking you on a joyride, baby. Like you're just going hardcore, like you're riding the roller coaster of thoughts because you forgot the fact that like you are not your thoughts and you observe your thoughts. You are not necessarily your thoughts. Okay. Sorry, I'm like and, I'm sitting here like this is this yeah you're like having everything a meta I'm moment. feeling yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no hundred that's why I wanted to talk about it because when you talked about these topics I wanted to have like a whole session where I could explain this topic to you um and so i agree with you like using tools like meditation because of the fact that we were not taught islam properly like if you do islam and you have a proper understanding of the words and salah the dua all these things this is why my biggest gripe with like how we were raised as muslims and the ummah as a general right now is because we don't even have the tools in our arsenal to be able to utilize the things that are supposed to put us in the state of taqwa we can't even understand what in the heck we're talking about here right and so that's why sometimes you have to utilize like it's almost like this muscle that we've forgotten on how to be deliberate and attentive and conscious and so you have to sometimes use meditation and sometimes these other things as tools a lot of people use meditation they kind of go into like um oh i'm, I'm my, you know my salah is supposed to be for my meditation and like why am i using meditation i should be using salah but no meditation and sometimes people use meditation as like oh it's for hindus or buddhists and all this stuff but meditation is a tool that you can utilize in order to scratch that muscle like it's almost like when you have muscle atrophy like you haven't used your muscles in a long time in today's world many people have forgotten what it means to be attentive and like actually not be victim of their thoughts and so sometimes you have to utilize these tools in order to actually like wake up that muscle of like oh okay i'm in control of my life not my thoughts like i can control the character my character doesn't control me and then you can start to utilize those muscles in your salah in your adhkar and slowly build yourself back up to where your salah is the critical thing that puts you in that state but in the beginning sometimes i found when i work with people it's, it's hard to do that from the very beginning that's interesting too because that makes it uh Thinking of it that way makes it feel better when you do fall off or you do get in a slump because you know it's a muscle that you have to practice and like put repetition in in order to actually stay with it. Like in those times where you don't feel like praying or you don't feel like uh, just doing anything, you, you, I guess, are self-aware of the fact that this is just part of <laughs> the journey in getting to the point where you can do this subconsciously, which I don't think is a... Do you think this is this is like kind of like a tangent? I have another question, but do you think it's possible to get to the point where like this is just like muscle memory, or do you think it's like always something that we have to? So the cool thing about this is you can get to the point where after you've cult you you understand that okay, when I get conscious, I immediately I immediately feel gratitude, I immediately feel happiness, I immediately feel contentment, right? Then what you do is after a while, your brain starts to link up these activities that you do to remind yourself about reality to happiness and these good feelings that you get, these good emotions. And so what ends up happening is you actually develop an addiction to this remembering reality because you're like, every time I remember reality, I feel so much better. And so then you start to be like, um, then when, if, if you get to the point where you build up the memory where salah starts to become that, 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 uh, that catalyst for you, you start to become addicted to salah because you're like, bro, every time I feel salah, I feel this level of uh, like clarity on my life. And so I just want more of that clarity all the time. And so you get to the point where you start to become addicted to these activities that are giving you that clarity of life. My mind is my mind is mush. <laughs> so you you view the world as a third person, you view your life as a game, and through these means of getting back to Allah consciousness or God consciousness, salah fasting or just meditation is like an external tool that isn't like islamically attached but it's still a tool that you can use to practice with that muscle you experience the happiness and the joy from doing those acts that allow you to kind of pull back and see the world from a different perspective and that in and of itself is something that 
becomes a loop over time, I guess. Yeah, you get addicted to it. Yeah. But it starts first with understanding what we talked about, number one. Number one is first coming to the realization. It takes a little bit of time. Sometimes you have to either journal about it or really spend time thinking about it because you have to first realize that happiness and contentment and my well-being comes from me separating myself from the video game and the character that I am right now. You have to first conceptually understand, like wrap your head around that. And you have to first, you have to feel a little bit of like, oh, that makes sense. My contentment, like all of a sudden when I realize that how I look, my intelligence level, who my parents are, my socioeconomic state, all of that stuff is not dependent on my well-being, how I feel, all of those kinds of things. Once you feel this level of like contentment in your in your heart where you're like, oh, like you feel this little like emotion, you're like, oh, like it's just like, life is just a game. It's not that serious. Like separate, like step back from it. You'll feel this level of like, relief like the first time in your life you'll feel this level of content okay now you felt that you've come to the realization that that is how it's supposed to be you now need to come up with all the tools that are going to allow you to get to that state more regularly in the beginning it might be states like having to remind yourself 10 times an hour like have a post-it note like stay present or like remind yourself who you are remember it's just a game or whatever that's one tool another tool could be meditation 20 minutes every day another tool could be trying to understand salah like all these things right that's step number two, utilizing the tools to cultivate this, this feeling, this realization more often. Then step number three is how do I then utilize deen and salah and the tools that Allah subhanahu has already given me to be able to cultivate step number one. And then make that into a habit and be able to develop it from there to the point where you can utilize only the tools that Allah subhanahu has given you to be able to elevate that level of taqwa that you have in your life. I think that's a that's a beautiful way to summarize everything that we talked about, um, and I guess I'll just call it a wrap at that because that that kind of brings us back full circle to the actual process by which we can actually achieve that. And Jazakallah for myself because this was something that actually helped me kind of click in terms of how I'm going to go about the rest of the week. Um, and yeah, do you have any other closing thoughts? Uh, just go use this concept of taqwa to get your Lambo because um, I guarantee you, you will make more money, you will have a better job, you will have better security with your family, you will feel better about yourself, you feel better about the world around you if you are not, if you increase your level of consciousness and you don't take life so seriously. When you take life less seriously, life becomes fun. When life becomes fun, it becomes easier to get the things that you want in life because all of a sudden it's just a game. And so go out there and get your Lambo because of that because remember, it's just a game. Hell yeah. We got our clickbait title right there. <laughs> we're there you set. go, bro. We're, always, we're always looking to get Lambos in the, in the title somehow. But uh, I hope you guys find that valuable. I know that this session was a little bit more of like a therapeutic session because I know that, you know, I wanted to kind of talk to Sahil about these topics and kind of just dump it out there. But I think it's good for me as well, kind of a reminder for myself as well. So I hope you guys find value in this, inshallah. And please, if you guys found value in it, just give us a comment. Let us know how things are going. And, uh, I mean, that's all. That's all we got for today. So, Hill, do you have any closing comments? No, no, no. You said it all. So, we'll uh, call it a wrap. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Yasin, for dropping bars. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that is the Sohail and Yasin podcast, episode number three, I believe. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Have a good day. That's it. Check it Deuces. out. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam.